Hi, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Juxcast. It's with me, Malcolm Sparks. Alex Davis. Jerry Littlejohn. I'm Andres Garlitz. Andres is joining us as a, a special guest, and this week we're going to be talking about the Horizon IT scandal. This is the post office that produced a system in the 90s. It's been very much in the a topical uh, news recently, um, mostly because there was a, a, in the first week of the new year, there was an ITV drama and documentary, um, a sort of four-part drama, uh, which got everybody kind of uh, talking again about this scandal, which has been going on for 20-odd years. Um, but it really made it real to people, and now it's become a real political news story. So we wanted to talk about this and kind of touch upon some of the, the learning points that we can, as representatives of, or members of the tech industry, um, and, and that's something that we've, we've really not... Um, We've not covered a lot of the technical details of this, this scandal, um, but I believe it's a it is an IT disaster first and foremost, and I've been kind of tweeting that, and and so has has Andres. And Andres, you you wrote a, a blog last week about this, and you were saying that you, you know before in the chat you've had some kind of negative reaction to this blog. Well, maybe you can explain some of you know what the blog. We'll put the the blog article in the show notes, but if you can kind of give an intro to to what what led you to write this blog but also kind of kind of some of the reception that you've received thank you so yes i've been writing about distributed consistency for eight or nine years now um it's my stick horse um it's um it's what i do uh i i'm a distributed systems consultant mostly and i have a startup in the area and i find I find that there's a huge divide between academia and industry. I find that there's very, very little overlap in, in, in these questions between the two, two areas. And uh, my goal was to bring a specific solution to this, uh, to this problem. And I found that uh, it would be useful to explain the, the shortcomings of the existing platforms of all the existing solutions that we all know of, like we've all heard that microservices have consistency problems. Well, why? What are those? Why do they have them? Um, what is inherently true about them? I'm trying to explain these matters and have discussions with developers around these matters with the wider community uh, doing these articles. So you can um, guess that... Um, that I'm trying to be popular because I want people to read it, but this one wasn't very particularly successful in that, in that area. Um, shockingly enough, it was quite successful with people who work on in the field, the strict field, so who work in distributed consistency. I know it, it, it did well with the Cassandra developers at Apple, for example, um, because it hit, it hit a note with them. It, 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 it sort of... Uh, so the, the, the article was mostly about how we keep ignoring the most important aspects of distributed consistency, how we cannot put our heads in the sand and just say, you know, my microservice is my problem and everything else is, is you know, everything else. Um, so I'm giving examples of that and I'm, and I'm explaining why the Horizon scandal is a distributed consistency scandal, although I'm standing on the shoulder of Stephen Murdoch in this regard, who's a professor at, at UCL, 
um, I think is the original author of the Tor browser, and he spent a considerable amount of time digging into the court proceedings and uh, connecting the dots between technology and what he has heard from from the witnesses. Um, it's incredible that actually most of you know what I know about the technical details of the system come from those court, um, you know those court findings and those those code those minutes, and um, incredibly actually one thing that we were talking about is that the fact that everything was so secret and the the lack of transparency um, you know I, I hope that through things like free software and, you know, our kind of open source systems and open data that we're beginning to learn the importance of, of not putting everything in kind of, uh, it, like not hiding all the details. And part of the scandal uh, of the, the, the IT, um, the, of the post office system was the, the fact that the, uh, the, the willingness of, of people to go to every length to cover up and hide the technical details uh, as if they were unimportant and uh, even to the point that some of the forensic logs were unavailable or deleted or reports were shredded second sites i think that one of their reports was told you know you've got to shred and destroy all the evidence and, and that's that's shocking but but actually um what can we what i i did learn from those court proceedings was in fact that the horizon system was a distributed system um, the the sub postmasters would have you know in their local post offices would actually have a full computer that was it it was a, an early windows nt build and so at, at the same time that in the 90s the industry was sleepwalking into distributed computing and pcs were coming out and we began to just accept that oh, this is the new way of building stuff so the old accounting systems would be built on mainframes there would be COBOL and kicks and these kind of things to like where we understood things like transactions and atomicity consistency isolation durability but some of the findings in the court proceedings were things like oh when there was a power cut uh you know some of these branches had sort of poor electricity and when there was a power cut that every power cut was you know cost 200 pounds in the system or the system lost money, which indicates that those acid pr principles were certainly not evident in the system. And that other parts of the system would go wrong when they, they launched, I think the first version of Horizon was just a, a local one, but when they launched Horizon Online and there was some messaging back to the Fujitsu computers um, in, in Reading, that was when the fun really began. That's, that's when the, the, the systems really began to, to fail. Um, Joe, what do you think? I think? Yeah, I think it's also sort of worth calling out as well that actually we talk about Horizon as a computer system. And I think a lot of people, it's one thing that you get from, you know, reading into some of the reports is that not only is Horizon a, you know, quite an all-encompassing word for a very, very large system that involves, you know, we're talking about the hardware of the system. We're talking about a, a, a very distributed software system. Um, uh, you know, it's it's a, a massive system on it, uh, in and of itself, but also Horizon uh, uh, as the post office sort of master of record, if you like, was also interacting with lots of other systems, Camelot system for managing lottery tickets, Bank of Ireland systems, co-op systems, various energy companies, links, the link system for payments and credits and debit cards. So I think 
you know, in, again, and in contrast to maybe sort of, you know, single monolithic, um, you know, systems of the past, Horizon was almost necessarily a distributed system. The work that had to be done spanned not just the, the aspects and parts of Horizon, but also many, many other systems that were involved. And so it was almost, you know, it was essential really to, to see this as a distributed system and to think about all of the possible failures that could arise, uh, you know, when making changes and updates across these disparate systems. That, you know, that, that would be essential when tackling a problem of this nature, really. Um, and there, there is no, you know, there was no way to eliminate that distribution, if you like, because of the nature of the problem and the nature of the, you know, the complexity of uh, all of the tasks that were involved. Yeah, eventually all systems are going to be distributed if you have to integrate with other other things. But that's where the, uh, I think that's where the hubris came, you know, came in. And that was, it was a dangerous environment. It was a perfect storm of having sleepwalked into a very massive complex distributed system whilst at the same time having all the hubris that you know the the techies and the boffins all get it right you know mm -hmm. that's that kind of like a bletchley park kind of uh, cultural aspect of british mm -hmm. society where you know there's professional managers who almost as a badge of honor are not technical they just trust it to the boffins in the labs and mm -hmm. the white coats mm -hmm. and uh, and uh, and not willing to kind of get down and and, and and understand the problems but uh, like like a one of so when i when i watched the um i think it was the panorama one um done eight years ago or something um they had uh someone say that they'd add up their accounts for the end of the day using the horizon system and it would say you know you've got x amount in your till and they'd go through an account and get yep that's right and you've sold this many stamps and done this much um this is like the total uh, shortfall or whatever, and, and it would say, you know, X thousand pounds, and they'd be like, well, no, that's not true because, you know, I keep accounts, and accounting is not a new thing, right? Like computers might be new at this time, but people know how to keep books and have, you have your two sides of the books, and you double entry accounting has been a standard practice for a long time. So my question was sort of, how did no one say, like, oh, well, uh, yeah, of course we can show you where that shortfall came from because there are mm. like logs for each transaction on both sides and we can show you where the balance didn't add up. And how, how weren't people looking at that? They were just sort of assuming that because things were entered into a computer and, and it was either like, oh, the person is taking money from the till or the computer has like done its side wrong, people just immediately assumed that it must be the, the person's fault and not the computer's fault when actually like... You ask most people if they've ever used a piece of software that worked 100% of the time, they'll probably say no. So it was interesting that... <laughs> but it, it would... My, I went in thinking about this podcast, I was thinking, wouldn't it be great if we could trust computers to the point where we know that uh, any shortfalls were, were to do with wrongdoing? One of the problems of the Horizon system was that the, it, it was also a system of manual uh, you know, so, for example, it had to deal with cash. So the system would say, uh, Mrs. Perkins, you know, traveler in a foreign exchange coming in and now open the till, take 20 pounds and give it to Mrs. Perkins. And at that point, mm. um, an unscrupulous postmaster could could take another 20 and put them on the back pocket. So there was definitely scope for fraud on the part of the submost postmasters. But the problem was that actually, yeah, so you you couldn't, they didn't know that they couldn't trust the system. Mm. So the question is, 
you know, what was really going on behind the scenes that led to these kind of errors. And there are some things that resonate with me when I kind of read reports about, oh, there was a war room. There was a kind of, they they knew that were loads of bugs in the system and that there were kind of, they were firefighting because I've been on IT projects where, you know, don't worry, we'll bring in this project manager to sort out all the problems. And they come in with this Excel spreadsheet of 4,000 bugs and they just go through and they treat the whole thing as a a war room and things like whack-a-mole where you fix one bug and two more pop up and you, you know those completely chaotic environments. And this is why I laugh whenever I, I see in the front page of, you know, a newspaper just saying software glitch causes meltdown at, uh, you know, an airport. Because I know that it's not actually, it's like as a single glitch, it's actually thousands upon thousands of glitches that are sitting there in the software just mm-hmm. waiting to happen. And so it's a bizarre kind of cultural thing that we, that there was any trust in the system and why you mentioned a double account double entry accounting because I, I i remember when we were in the early days of jux we built our own accounting system and it never lost money because of this sort of nature of double entry accounting and it doesn't even in reading the reports of horizon it doesn't seem obvious that even double entry accounting was practiced it it seems very much there were some code lines that they had to add last minute because they yeah. they needed to kind of make sure that somebody taken out some money they sent a message and they forgot to send a message and then that was losing money so the whole thing looked like a, a complete mm. shambles i think the the thing about the the managers they sound like cartoon villains by this point don't they like like you know something <laughs> and that but uh, one thing that made sense that made sense of this uh was that they were building Horizon in large part because the central office distrusted sub-postmasters. So the whole one, uh, the raison d'etre of the whole project was that they want to catch those red-handed. So when the system started, you know, showing the red light, they said, "Ha ha! I we knew it, right?" So we called them red-handed. We didn't have them exactly where 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 they know they've been pilfering the chests for the last fifty years, right? Uh, so it was a bias, initial bias from their behalf. But the other thing that, that you mentioned uh, was about... Um, so the thing, the thing that was particularly toxic uh, in, in this uh, system is that there were a lot of silent failures. Now, silent failures are the worst kind of failures because if you have a failure, you're going to look for the problem. But if you don't have a failure, you just have a badly working software it takes forever to figure, figure figure this out. And the particular problem with distributed systems is that this is common. This is a very, because it's, it's almost as hard to figure out if you're missing something from the system than to figure out if something is a duplicate. Neither are obvious things to talk about. So, um, so these sort of errors are actually very typical of all sorts of distributed system. And uh, sorry, I'm going to shut up in a second, but we did build, I actually have built a, dis- a distributed integrated system at a large, well, large-ish Hungarian bank with London standards, uh, where we were building the first middleware back in the late 90s. Uh, this was this was the in, in, uh, very early Java EE days, right? And we were doing workflows. And to this day, I shudder <laughs> to, to think about the sort of things 
that we were that we were getting away with. At least we had a central monolith. At least we had a single database, and that database had enterprise hardware hardware underneath it. So it never failed. The hardware never ever ever failed because if it failed, someone pulled out a chest and pushed in another one. So it was incredibly incredibly expensive, but it never failed. Right. So we had these sort of safeguards back in those days, but that was for monolithic system. Right. I can't imagine the sort of things that could have gone wrong had we not had a single central Oracle instance, you know, babysitting all these processes and at least making each step one by one atomic and so acid. Mm-hmm. Right. So if if we accept it's interesting. So on this topic of you know the the, the problem essentially being distributed, if we think about this from the perspective of you know because i think something that we've discussed when entering this podcast in a way is that it's very easy for us to drift off and as you say andras you know we think of these ah oh, the managers were you know these sort of evil characters in this story and it's very you know i think we we had sort of thought i'm going you know going into this recording think what what can we actually if, if we treat this as an opportunity as the kind of technical side of this equation to kind of reflect on what we're doing it does seem, and I, I'm sure you've got some, you know, insights into this, Andreas. It does seem like one of the those fundamental learnings that we can take away is that if you're building a distributed system, you know, whether you're an external uh, vendor that's delivering this system, or you know, whether you're working on in-house in-house software, if you're working with a system that, that is distributed, there are certain kinds of failure that are in scope. They are essential. They're 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 actually you know they're provably part of the system, and so the, this should be something that we all are doing when we're working on distributing distributed systems. Is not trying to treat those as uh, you know aberrations that necessarily can be eliminated if we just did it right. Of course, we are, you know no one's going to prepare to say what doing it right means. But oh, if we, if we're just careful, we won't get have those things. No, these things are essential failures. They're essential failure scenarios. They should be un- well understood that any system of this nature will have this kind of problem. And I think if we, you know, if we elevate those, that that you know, it's almost like the functional requirements of the system and the, uh, you know, what kind of soft, what features we've delivered. We also need to be clear about what bugs have we delivered, what 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 er- errors have we delivered that actually cannot be eliminated. They require attention. They are possible. And I think that would, you know, this is sort of one learning, I think, that we can come away with here is that when we're working on these systems, if they're distributed, there, you know, there's some science that can back us up here. And it is possible to say, these are the features we've delivered. And these are the essential, you know, error scenarios that cannot be eliminated when you're working on a, a system of this nature. And I'm sure you've done a lot of work, Andras, in, you know, exploring and formalizing those. Um, I, I don't formalize. Uh, I'm, just a, I'm, just a, I'm just a middleman between academia. Like, I, I do have some ideas that I've, that I've implemented around this space, but uh, I don't have anything comfortable to say uh the reason i left the the city to work on as in you know financial contracting uh was because i i i saw the writing on the wall and i saw microservices coming in and i i remember sitting there because i this was about a bit more than 10 years ago when when this was just a nascent technology but i was already made to to explain MapReduce, if you remember MapReduce, which was, mm-hmm. yeah. So I was already made to explain these things to people. And I knew that was, everyone knew that was the future, right? And I was sitting there, it's like, 
there's no way this will succeed. So I was looking at I was looking at this this problem space, and I was thinking to myself, databases do so much for us. If we just let this go, what is going to replace that? And as soon as I saw that nothing is the answer, nothing is going to replace that, I was shocked to my core. And then I started thinking about how to work in this space to bring um, more order into this into into these these topics fortunately this was no longer the the late 90s so by that time we were, uh, distributed consensus was already um part and parcel we already used cough cough uh, here and there uh, not that many places but we did use that um but the the hard part was um well how do i put this so putting things together in a system like this is uh, is not only hard because you need to figure out which things talk to each other like you do in an asset system. The reason it, it's a lot harder than that is because you can have a parallelism on top of that. Now, I've never, ever, ever seen a project where they designed for parallelism. I've seen uh, modules talk to each other all the time. I've seen all sorts of failure modes between those modules talking to each other. But the fact that you can have dozens of these processes running in parallel and all the combinations that they could potentially assume needs to be looked after, uh, as in needs to be part of the consideration whether when you decide that the software is correct, is not something that I see done anywhere, ever. Because it's impossible to do. Um, between you and me, I hope no one else hears this. Um, so, so there it is. I think there's there's my professional opinion. I don't think this is being thought about. I saw a lot of problems because this brings up like this. It even brings up security problems if you think about it. Is uh, the the example I give in the in the article that we talked about is that if you if you don't have strong consistency in the system and these systems do not have strong consistency uh, overwhelmingly, like maybe here and there, but those are not the systems we're talking about. We're talking about classic uh, ledgers, led, led LFG microservice systems. Um, they don't usually do strong consistency, which means that they don't usually have a, a, an absolute order for the messages, which can easily change the meaning of the message. Um, and whether it does, can only be known knowing the state that, that it can assume, all the state that it can assume. And if you can run 10 of these, which overlap in meaning, then the state is exponential. And I'm, so it, it, it literally does climb exponentially with the number of uh, threads. So there you have it. There's, I don't think there's a good answer. And the shocking thing is that not even something like so I, I'm, and I'm not dissing. The reason I'm using cockroach in this example is because cockroach is the best of the bunch, right? The shocking thing is having a distributed database will not save you. And the reason a distributed database will not save you is because you're also integrating things. By virtue of being an enterprise, you, you are a distributed system. You have an authentication system. You have multiple SAESs. You have some things you cooked in-house. You have things which are half between the two. Typical example would be SAP. And there's no way to get them to play nice with each other. And I don't see anyone, even in Silicon Valley, doing this at all. Hmm. 
I, I think in yeah, yeah sorry, I on. think in the Horizon case, I think it was a bit of a perfect storm as well because of course, you know, we're talking about a system that was being used across even ten years ago, twelve thousand branches. Uh, it it may be maybe more, it may be fewer now, but um, you know, we're talking about a system. Often these are sort of remote, rural, uh, you know, locations, maybe poor connectivity, uh, mo- mobile data connections being used. And of course, so you know, you you uh, this is a good ground to explore some of those edge cases, right? Uh, certainly, it's a good system that you, that you're going to be exploring some of those failure, you know, hard to produce failure cases. But also, um, when someone goes in to use the post office, there's actually a limited time that you have available to to complete this transaction, to complete this service. And I think when you're dealing with, you, you know, I think there was an example of uh, a failure happening and, and um, someone was allowed to leave the post office um, before really they'd had an answer as to whether a payment was complete or not. But of course, actually, you can't make a customer stand around indefinitely. And so when you actually have a limited time at which to the system to reach a, cer- reach a certain state, that introduces even more possible error cases into the system. You know, you might be able to avoid some, but they can only be avoided if you have unlimited time. <laughs> we have a limited time at which someone's prepared to stand at the, at the counter. Uh, and so this means that, you know, that n- not only do we have certain possible error states that we will get into in this kind of distributed system, but also when we're dealing with that limited time window, there are a whole load more that we that we will get into as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it was, it's, I think obviously connectivity has got better uh, and, um, you know, now, now we're, we're able to run some of these distributed internet based systems a bit more reliably. Uh, but certainly this was a, this was, these were error scenarios that I think the engineers should really have been quite, um, uh, you know, taken, taken care to document, let's say. I, I kind of want to. Like I, so, uh, this is kind of relevant to something that I've been working on for, like the past year. Uh, Let me mute that. Uh, sorry about it. I'll I'll start again. We can cut this bit out, right? <laughs> <laughs> um. So so that that's that's kind of relevant to something I've been working on recently, and I think that you made a point there about uh, connectivity getting better and uh, that that leading to better scenarios. But actually, I think that. In some ways, this sort of internet being very fast and most people having like minimal latency when talking to each other has kind of led to people ignoring the fact that they're actually in a distributed system when they can mm. just sort of pretend that they're not because, oh, it's only 100 milliseconds. You know, that's like a blink of an eye. And, and, and this leads to people just leaving out all sorts of things which would be very obviously needed if that uh, latency was longer. So if you think back to like before the internet existed and the system that the post office used before, I guess, it would be incredibly obvious when I'm like giving someone the money and the postmaster is writing it down, oh, I just got this money on a, on a log, that that hasn't been like registered with the bank yet. That, ha- that transaction has gone through in this location, but it is still pending um, you know, finalization because it is physically impossible at that time for it to have gone through automatically. But then when you connect it, people go, oh, well, when I give you this money and you press enter, that's like finalized the transaction and this is all done and it's all settled, right? When obviously that isn't the case. And and things like, you know, uh, in the UK, we have faster payments for doing bank transfers. You 
you type in someone's bank details, you click send, and it says, oh, send you sent the money. But actually, that's just a lie because that could take hours, you know, to actually fully go through. There could be a problem. You can never like guarantee that a, a message has, has mm. gone through instantly. And so I think that we sort of see this still with mobile apps because people uh, go on planes, they, they're on, you know, in areas when you use your phone where you don't always have good internet. So I find that mobile apps tend to like address these problems better because someone will notice that, oh, I sent a message and I was out of internet. Um, so, you know, you can't just lie to me. You have to tell me this message has been registered on your device, but it is pending, you know, receipt or however you, you show it. But I find that like web apps, especially, and, and I guess a lot of backend systems too, though people assume that they're like directly connected when they almost mm -hmm. never are. Yeah, it's kind it, of a fallacy, isn't there? That an example, you know, whenever we, as software engineers, and sort of we're talking to someone that's maybe new to uh, software engineering, and and we're talking about transactions, and we have this this example that people go to around, you know, moving money from one bank account to another as a good example of how we're going to explain a transaction. Well, what we want to do is do both of these things as an atomic operation so that they will both complete and we can know that, you know, the money will never be in two places. It will never be in, in both accounts. It will never be in neither account. We will perform this transfer atomically. And I think, you know, uh, the, the funny thing that people, software engineers always talk about, of course, is that this this example is a complete fallacy and that, you know, banks don't actually work this way. And so when we're talking about, you know, should shouldn't we uh, shouldn't we be building these systems at the same level of, uh, you, you know, uh, sophistication and correctness as banking systems? Well, you know, banking systems don't. Uh, aren't able to apply their updates atomically, uh, you know, these, complete these transactions atomically either. They require reconciliation. They require deep thought about the kind of error cases that can emerge. Yeah, there's lots of manual intervention in banks and they're not particularly inefficient and certainly they don't have supercomputers that are always correct. But it does strike me that when this industry started, hardware was terrible networks were terrible things failed all the time so certainly but with those limited resources people were able to build accounting systems that didn't lose money and that did work and then then the relational databases happened and the 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 reliability of the mainframes were sort of that people had experienced said well we need to get that reliability into our databases and they came up with these kind of concepts of the acid principles that we kind of mentioned and but then something so in those short that short span of years we sort of figured out some useful properties of systems that in guarantees that certain you know at a limited level and at a local level but somehow in the kind of rush towards distributed computing and the internet and google and everything kind of being hyperscaled and we we didn't figure out how to recreate these guarantees certainly not in the 90s with horizon but i'm not sure you know i'm pretty sure we you know if truth be told we haven't figured them out now right now this is this is a concern because we're building the whole of civilization's it on this very kind of this quicksand um and it's kind of you know, this is a bit frightening. I mean, it's frightening on the level of cybersecurity and attacks to, you know, electricity, you know, power stations and all that stuff. We know that security is a nightmare, but actually not even getting some of the fundamental correctness primitives 
right is a mm. cause for alarm and it is, is is one of the things that we should be um you know what can we learn how do we learn from the horizon it doesn't sound like we've learned anything at all but what 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 holds a glimmer of hope i think one thing that one thing that we know that we can't the message we can't go away with or that wouldn't be a useful one to go away with is just that next time we should just do it right we should just do it properly let's all be professionals about it and let's just do it properly and you know sort of say oh well this person they were working on this system they weren't good enough and so they didn't do it properly um you know it feels like that you know that we need to actually talk about what it is specifically that we're talking about when we when we say doing it properly for this kind of system something that that um you know you were had, had mentioned earlier today alex so uh, you know, I think the software industry has always been very resistant to formalizing what doing it properly means. And I think because, you know, we see software engineering as a whole wide gamut of different things. And so when we talk about, you know, uh, well, every system should have these properties, then there's always a counterexample when we think, oh, well, you know, what if I'm working in a startup and I'm just trying to sort of throw things together to prove an idea quickly and it doesn't need to work right. It's just a, you know, quick validate the idea and then move on. I don't want to be held back by those kinds of things. So, but it, it does imply that maybe there are certain kinds of systems and certain subparts of the industry, whether they're, you know, regulated regulated by certain bodies where we should come up with some uh you know hard and fast rules for how we build things and what i i think the, you know the we do of course have regulated industries and we have certain standards bodies it seems to me though, though like a, a lot of what we have at the moment addresses more process than it does technical characteristics so it may be the case that we're in a regulated industry and therefore we have to have a certain development process and we need to have checks and balances to prove that we're following that process um, but the specifics of what that process must be are kind of left to the reader but we need to satisfy that we have the checks and balances to know that we're following our, our, our defined processes it does seem like that there is potential to start laying down some of these fundamental technical characteristics. The problem, um, but so I'm interested in what people's yeah. thoughts are about this question of what what are the rules and how should we, let's assume that we're working on a, uh, a critical system of this nature. What might we propose as, uh, as what it means to do it well? Sorry, I can't help myself. I, but it's, it's very rude to interrupt people. I just, uh, I couldn't help it. Um, that the, what academia says as an answer and is a is a right answer. I like semantically it's like it's a complete answer. Mathematically speaking, it's the right thing to say. Use TLA plus, which is a modeling mm. language. Build a model of what your promises are, what your expectations are, and then it will check whether the the model of getting point, from point A to point B is correct or not. It will give you that right. It's 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 written by. Uh, the grandfather of distributed systems called Leslie Lamport, it's the bee's knees, right? I personally, and this is my personal opinion, this, this is important to stress, I think it's overkill for something like a banking application for Horizon. For something like Horizon, it, it would have been absolutely mandatory, right? I get that. But the problem with DLA is that it's a model of a model. And if you... If you build so so, you, it can't it can't run your code, right? Uh, it, it can run a model of your code, which is very useful for big enough projects. But it means hiring the talent, which is 
mostly means math PhDs, but at least computer science PhDs who have specific understanding about combinatorics. They, they must understand these things before they can start building out these models. Uh, but also, um, but also the, what they will give you, these people are not usually practicing engineers, right? They, these are science people, right? Uh, like I'm, I'm painting very, very, with a very broad brush here, right? Um, so bear with me. But the point is, the result of their work will not be code. It will be the model of a code, which will have to be translated by engineers into the code and put it into Closure, Spring, Python, whatever real environment that it will be running in, right? And there, the potential for failure rises again, right? So even though your model might have been fine, and it's great to have, if, if you're running something like Amazon Web Services, you absolutely must do that. I get that, right? But for, for a microservice project at a bank, um, this doesn't sound like a feasible solution to me. See, having mm. seen the sort of uh, resources that we had to work with within investment banks, uh, mm. mostly, right? Um, so I think what I do is uh, is do a bit of more, quite a bit of modeling. Uh, sometimes I go all the way to the to TLA very rarely, uh, but I personally just do a lot of modeling and kill kill it with stress testing any occasion I get. Stress test, stress test, stress test mm. uh, with as many threads as the computer can, can bear, essentially. And and yeah. simulate user behavior as closely as we can. Sorry. Yeah, um, one of the things that wasn't obvious with the Horizon system was the, the level of testing that they had. They had some sort of remote machines or dummy machines or simulators, but they didn't have the kind of level of stress testing that we would kind of want today. Another thing is, I think it was an accounting grade application in, from a risk point of view. There was, um, I suppose the team probably didn't realize that these supplies masters were legally liable for any losses. And therefore that put the onus on the software to be correct. And that where DLA plus and that approach probably was a good candidate although i accept you know most applications we we write you know social media applications or applications to run your exercise bike you know it's not the end of the world if it doesn't add up the calories quite in the right way or loses you know a few you know a, a few of your kind of heartbeat measurements but it does matter when you're dealing with if you were legally liable for the kind of financial loss and so i think there does need to be some sort of distinguishment between um applications that are in that class ought to be subject to some kind of audit or some domain some some sort of um uh scrutiny from some i don't know i mean i know there are some mm. sometimes you can have a government um, legislation and regulation. Sometimes it's the industry, like in the credit card industry, there's the um, PCI DSS, which is kind of, uh, and all of these, except Joe, are, are process driven. You know, like we, you know, we've got risk, but we've mitigated the risk because we have a risk committee that meet every mm -hmm. month, you know, and that, that's, you know, that's the way. But I think we, we shouldn't throw away the, the benefits of actually looking at process. Processes are very, very effective. And, you know, in the, uh, you know, aer aeronautic industry and, you know, space industry process has been proven to be really a good effective tool. So we shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Bath but the technical characteristics of the system that you mentioned, Joe, you know, being able to say, we can 
you know, we have a high degree of confidence, uh, confidence 9.99 something like that, or some uptime measurement or something, which you could then, you would then have to open source and say, look, we, we invite researchers or hackers to come in and prove that this system isn't up to this grade. Mm. And therefore, if they do, they either get a bug bounty or you get some, you know, there does seem to be a missing alignment of incentives here, you know, which, so if, if Horizon had been open source and there had been a bounty to say, anyone find a bug in this system, you, you know, you get, you get a monetary reward mm. or something of that nature, I think might have helped. Yeah, I think the, uh, it's quite common, isn't it, to have, um, clauses in a contract that are unenforceable because of some some you know the, the the characteristics of the goods that you've provided or the uh you know the some something uh that relates to the contract that makes certain clauses unenforceable and it does seem that when dealing with software if you want to have a clause in a contract to say that a user of this system is responsible for any discrepancies in the data it produces that does seem like you could have a technical uh, requirement. If you want that kind of clause in a contract, it can exist, but only if you meet, if your system that you're, you know, meets certain criteria, I would argue that being a distributed system by definition should mean that that, that that criteria is unenforceable within a contract. Because as we know, you know, as we've already talked about, it introduces a whole load of possible errors that actually cannot be resolved unless by investigation. But, you know, as you're saying, if you, you, you could decide that actually, if that kind of, you know, if that kind of contract is present, then, then the system in scope must be implemented using some sort of formal verification methods like you, you know as, as possible with a system using TLA plus so that that could be one uh, you know example in a way of, of a, a concrete change to say that actually that kind of clause is no longer legal mm-hmm. unless the system meets certain technical criteria I, I think another thing that sort of building on that that came away from watching this was how blind the general public are and by general public i mean basically everyone not technical <laughs> so the postmasters who are working there like the people at the post office uh, the people in the court the judge you know these people because this is a, takes a really long time to learn do not have any sort of understanding how systems in general work let alone like complex distributed systems like horizon so i wonder if there also should be as well as open sourcing like the core parts of any accounting or, or, or that sort of system so that other technical people can uh, peer review these things i wonder if there also needs to be some sort of legislation or like guidance on exposing what is happening in such a way that the general user of the system is able to actually understand it a bit better. So for instance, if we have a simple messaging app, then we might have a requirement that says, when I type a message and click send, it says message, um, you know, like, you know, WhatsApp or whatever will say message sent at this time and then received at this time and then read at this time. And you have like these different timestamps for where these different events happened in the, in the system. And, my you know my mother can understand that mm. that's that's pretty easy and and you could imagine in the post office system a similar thing could be done where i have typed in my you know transaction and it's been registered on my 
local Horizon machine, but then the transaction has failed because the power was cut and it never synced to Horizon. And and this sort of thing, you know, obviously it would be step one is like get that into the logs, get that into like uh, some open source code base so that people can verify it. But I think it's also important that the user knows what's going on or can sort of see what's going on because then maybe we can avoid all of this and we, we don't have to go to the courts and we don't have to have people like stressed out that they've lost money because they can see, oh, I haven't lost money. It just didn't get from this stage to this stage. Or so one like of the things Nathan Martz talked about was deterministic, uh, he was mostly talking about testing from what I remember. Mm. Uh, my solution actually takes this a step further. It, it's deterministically reproducible. That's how it does replication and that's how it does what it does. Uh, and that's how it, it, it can't fail because you have multiple copies of it because it's deterministic. So the idea that, and this is how I actually started talking with Stephen Murdoch, um, because the idea that you could make computer systems which handle money traceable to all the causes that that put the the eventual result together uh, should be a big step because even if the system isn't perfect at least we can trace it back on where it made the error right so we can take a step back and say well it's not necessarily true that all we have is a constantly mutated state of a machine somewhere it's entirely possible to trace all the reasons back to their origins right and if and if it's about someone going to prison then they most certainly should tra trace those things back to their origin right um, so that's one of one of the things that I think could help deterministic testing. As I fully agree with Nathan on that, I I, I practice what I preach on that, uh, what he preaches uh, on that too. Um, I think I think it wouldn't be a big ask to say that financial systems should be deterministic um, because they should be because. I understand that it's a, a big ask uh, with the current tooling, but it's technically possible and it would help immensely with all the aspects that we just discussed. Could you define deterministic? Just That's a I'm very good question. Thank you very much. <laughs> Given that you're going to send people to prison for not doing this. Oh, we, God. We yes, yes. Thank you. That's, a, that, that's actually, well, my, I, well, everyone has their own definition, right? Um, my definition is that the internal state of the machine is entirely the result of the inputs it was uh, it was fed, right? And can be recreated. And can be recreated at will based on a particular offset. So you say replay it until this point, and then it will give you. It, you will have. You can replay the computer to the same point, and the computer will be in the same state as it was uh, when it served the wrong answer. Say. Right? So you can test those things locally and reproduce it as many as many times as you like. Right? Uh, you take away uh, multi-threadedness that way. Uh, you take away race conditions because race conditions are original information being created. So that's a big thing, but, but that means you have to create your own consistency between these various streams. Right? Um, this is this is a very very deep rabbit hole that I've been digging for the last ten years. I don't want to take you guys down there. Uh, the point is, I'm saying that it's possible, and this is what my innovation is about. This is the reason I left the city to work on this, right? To help the city's data problems. That's uh, that was actually the reason 
I love. And, it, and it's a very hard thing. I think we want to give you a plug, which is the uh, at Andras's uh, website is omniledger.io. If you want to to kind of dig into some of these thoughts that we don't have time to cover. I'm hoping that we can do another podcast to cover the the more deeper aspects of determinism and distributed consistency that we've touched upon. But I do, do want to respond to a couple of things. Joe, I, I do like your kind of point about it needs to somehow match up to the contracts. Ultimately, law is practiced through these kind of contracts. And it almost asks for a specialist type of lawyer to be able to review a contract and say, well, actually, that's not a fair thing to ask of a sub-postmaster without these, without back-to-back this contract that you might have also have with Fujitsu. You have to have these guarantees. Just to, so to have lawyers who are versed in some of the properties of systems and distributed systems would, would be great. Where do you get those lawyers from? I don't know, but I, I think there's a lot more uh, AI being applied to legal contracts to read them and to spot kind of violations. I think that's that holds promise. I also want to touch on, uh, respond to Alex's point, which I thought was excellent around the explainability of a system, which, which we call provenance, which is tied to determinism. Because, in fact, one of the one of the one of the clear things from the ITV drama was that many of the postmasters were were saying the system is just telling me I owe this amount. And there's no, there's no rationale or explain. And people, people don't mind things as long as you, you get explained, right? Why is there no food tonight? Well, because, right? It, you know, why was the train late? Well, because, you know, it, you know, a staff member didn't turn. Well, anyway, you know, those sort of excuses. I mean, real explains where you, as Alex was saying, you can say, this happened because of this and because of that and because of this. And, and you can give it to a lawyer and they can explain it to you. Even if you don't understand the explain, at least you've got it. Like a stack trace or, or something, some evidence. But the fact that this stuff was missing um, and the logs were not there. and the, you know, that, But I really feel mm. that explains are a missing part. We, we don't value them as, as much as we should. And even to the point, it's going to get worse because you, you know, we're going to ask, well, why was this particular person executed by a drone and you'll say AI just decided I don't know you know and this la- lack of explanations I think is a massive thing that we have to hold our hands up to in the industry how do we how do we make our systems more visible and explain themselves better well, well I actually think just on your AI point because obviously that's uh, topical at the moment um, I think that that doesn't actually stop what I, I want to happen from happening at all because all I want to happen is that everything is clearly documented and there's a process and then you ha- that forces you to understand how explainable each process is because not everything is explainable. There's plenty of, you know, the laws of physics that we thought were fundamental and then we sort of, oh, whoops, that's actually not right at all and that seems to be happening all the time. So we, we basically know that we cannot explain everything and there are always going to be things that are sort of unknown to us right now. But as long as we say, uh, you know, this happened and then because of this we did this and then because of this we did this, and there's a log of like the current understanding to the best of our abilities, then that's so much more than what they had on horizon. And I think like mm. we should <laughs> do whatever we can to move in that direction. Because even if AI says send that person to jail, if there's like a any sort of log that's like, oh, the AI said send that person to jail and someone just sent them to jail without like doing any sort of other check, then 
you can at least mm. you know start to blame people based on that so. i think it's uh i think we're, we're we may like to my mind have hit upon another one of these rules of what does it mean when approaching this kind of system to have done it properly and what what are we going to you know specifically how what would we you know how would we hold someone to account if they were building this system again today i think this idea that actually the user has a right not just an expectation but a right to see the actions that they've taken to understand if they've made a mistake and for any value that is derived to understand how it's been derived and this actually should be a minimum standard you know in the same way that that we start to build up expectations around uh, you know any computer systems if they're if they're functioning correctly i think there should you know the users of this kind of system have a right to be able to understand uh, what actions they've taken, you know, but particularly, and and I think you know another another problem in the case of Horizon is not not only were there times where these totals were being arrived at, but it was not possible to see how they were calculated, and so you know if you accidentally miskeyed five hundred as five thousand, well, tough luck because that's now you know it's now telling you you owe twenty thousand and you don't know why. Mm. Um, the other thing is that where there was some, uh, you know, there was some records available to the postmasters, there were initially cases where those records were only available for 42 days and this, then this became 60 days. You know, these kinds of time limits are not acceptable, you know, when, when we are talking about this kind of system. Sometimes these problems take months to resolve and it's important that people don't just have, you know, sorry, you can see the data for 42 days and then then it's out, then it's hidden to you and now you can't see it anymore. That, that, that kind of thing is unacceptable. So I think, I think being able to provide information to a user about what actions they've taken is, you know, is something that we actually should be adopting as a fundamental requirement of this kind of system, you know, a specific requirement there's two sides though isn't there to auditing there's the the kind of auditing so that the user can see what they've do that what they've done and then there's the auditing so that you know forensically we can always piece together everything that this every action that the system has taken and it does seem to me like uh and we know in you know the auditing the logs and things like this weren't adequate uh, at certain times in the, in the lifetime of horizon uh but it does seem like I think about this similarly to like highly available systems. We have a, we talk about highly available systems, you know, systems, cloud, you know, often cloud systems that don't, we try to eliminate single points of failure. And so we, you know, we can look at a system and just, uh, you know, we have the terminology. It may not mean the same thing to everyone, but we can, we can kind of throw around this idea. Okay. That system, that's HA. And we all know what that means. Or, or, you know, we, we roughly know what that means. I kind of think that we need this notion of, an HA system, which is a highly, highly auditable system. What does that mean, a highly auditable system? Because it means completely different things. At the moment, it means different things in the industry to different people. It would be great if we could get to auditability standards. And, to, in, and it does seem like, in a way, these quest, this standard of auditability trumps everything else mm. because it almost doesn't matter, you know, if some if we haven't really come to an agreement yet on formalizing the model and how it should be tested, you know, then that's a, an issue. But if we haven't yet come to an agreement on the auditability, 
And that that's a serious problem. And in a way, the auditability is the backup strategy for everything else so that we can see what's happened. So I do think we could arrive, particularly in this kind of system, we could arrive at some common agreements of what what is high, you know, what is a highly auditable system? Yeah, I, I like this idea of the kind of a right to an explanation. I mean, GDPR does have sort of similar rights in, you know, in, um, in the, you know, right to be, uh, right to erasure, a re- uh, the right to object to your records being processed by a computer, and they don't really hit the hit the mark that we're looking for here. I mean, the, the things like the the right to object to an automated decision, but actually, what people want is a right to an explanation. It doesn't matter if it's human or automated. Mm. You know, why did you refuse my loan? You know, and and uh, why have I got a bad credit score? And what can I do to rectify? It? I mean, without the why and the explanation you you then can't you don't have enough and i think that you know whether it's a court or, or any, this ability to put in explanations and i don't know if there's actually a, 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 more than just one being more coarse-grained i don't know if there we want systems that have two explanations one one for the techies and one for the user i think we just it, like the user just needs a more aggregated summary mm. and and has the right to drill down and the right to bring in their experts and to, you know, like, give me the entire stack trace, please, even if I, think, I don't I understand. I think this goes back to what you initially said before before we started recording, Malcolm, which was uh, that people are more and more exposed to the sharp end of our systems. Like, uh, it, it was all fine and dandy, you know, back in the early 2000s when we were most, mostly just playing around with technology. But nowadays, it rules your life to such an extent that this should be, it should be a question of human rights in a sense. Like mm-hmm. you can't live your life. You like if I lost like this is this sounds banal, and I'm sure you know people will laugh. But if I lost my Google account tomorrow, I would be in proper mm-hmm. problem. Like I would have like and, and Google can do that like like that. Like no explanation, nothing. And it, but it it has such an impact on my life, my access to to that account that it needs it should have some sort of a. Like you said, it should have some explainability. Why I, I think I... this is key because you know I, I was listening to the Spike podcast on this topic recently, and it, it was really saying that because computers are so impersonal, what really captured the public mood was the fact that everybody feels they're in the Horizon system, they're using the Horizon system. Everyone feels they're staring at their phone or that Google have cancelled their account or their identity has been stolen or they're on the phone and the bank has rung them up about fraud or they've got some um, security virus or somebody's rung them up from India and they've been told that their computer is a virus. Everybody's subject subjected to this kind of abuse by computers. In the old days, I mean, you know, if the bank made a mistake, you could go to your branch and ask to speak to your bank manager. There is no correspond. There's no analog to that in the, you know, go to in Google. You can't just go to California and go to Larry's office and knock on the door and say, "I think you've made a mistake." And because there are not those, there's no safety net. People feel exposed to the vagaries of a decision made by a computer, and that I think is what really people are objecting to, and why they're so sympathetic. To these uh, these postmasters, mm. I think as well in in a domain, you know this this kind of domain when a computer system is entering this kind of domain. If we think about you know what are where is the bar on auditability and being able to go explain what's going on and being able to keep records, it's very very high. You know, I saw a 
we, we I saw um, a history program the other day. I was watching it, and they were talking about um, uh, records from Rome that we have that you know explain the kind of financial accounting that was going on in Roman times. And actually, we have you know we've been able to to ha- get some documents. These are two thousand. This is a record that's two thousand years old, and people can actually understand you know so what what was going on accounting wise in Rome. So that is a very high bar. So if you're going to get rid of, uh, you know, a paper-based system that's producing the kind of physical artifacts, uh, you really better make sure that you, the system that you're deploying can, re- can meet that level of longevity, uh, you know, auditability, that really, uh, you know, that you can give that kind of insight to both, the, you know, both the, the people on both, both sides, the, the, you know, the people managing the central systems and the people, the users, that they, they, can, they can really audit it. Uh, and I think that, you know, anyone that, that's entering that kind of realm to replace, you know, paper-based systems, it may not be efficient to audit those kinds of, uh, you know, physical logs, but I think we should just have a lot of respect for how, you know, the kind of longevity and uh, auditability that they provide and really attempt to, to pr- provide the same. Yeah, absolutely. Any any closing remarks? We've just got, got to the hour and I just want to, to uh, see if we've got it. How, what lessons can we learn and do we need another episode? Are there? A, I think what we we're just to sort of review, we've have, we have kind of decided that there is a need for having some formalistic or formalisms of certain technical characteristics that we can define like determinism and provenance you know the ability to explain what's happening um we we, we've touched upon that these are very you know technical you know boolean principles they're either there or they're not or i suppose in the the explanation uh, you know that there is a kind of extent to which you know, you can't explain everything, but, you know, to, to have much more evidence in a system for being able to object and say, and ask for a re- review. And we've touched upon kind of how officious computers are. Um, but are, are, there, are there any more learnings that we can dig in? And what are, are there some socio-technical learnings that we can do as communities? For example, is professional qualifications. I think we talked about that before the podcast, you know, well, what would be the value of technical qualifications of people building this software i think one just one sort of thing that i would like to have people go away with if you like or one thought that i'd like to have people go away with i don't want this to sound like a flippant remark or um something that you know doesn't take people's situation seriously but i i really would appeal to everyone in the industry if you think that you're working on a system for which these kinds of problems exist and you think that users are being treated unfairly, then talk about it as much as possible. And, you know, if you think that there are errors in a system and that they're fundamentally... Now, I'm not saying in any way that that wasn't happening already on the Horizon, you know, the Horizon system and that, you know, people weren't being ignored left, right and centre and people were shouting about it. But... You know, I think it's the most, you know, from the software engineering perspective, the best that we can do is look at a system like this, be honest about where those failures exist. Don't feel embarrassed about them. You know, some of these, some of the, uh, you know, the things that we've talked about, they are essential errors that exist in the technical things that that we produce. They're necessary. And I think I would just encourage people that, you know, if you, if you feel that you're in that, in that situation, 
um, you know, it, it's it's a very noble thing to do to to shout about it as much as possible. But Joe, do we need? Um, because I, I I'm reminded of the, in in the drama there was a conversation I think in a cafe of one of the developers who came forward at first anonymously and then was you know coaxed to having to you know go to court. And the reason why they were so hesitant was clear that they they knew that they the post office were. A, a pretty evil opera, operation and they were mm. going to go after that and so you know do we need something akin to a software engineer whistleblowers charter or some sort of protections for it whistleblowers who say you know we are not securing our system because i've been in systems where we've we've made certain you know, management have said oh this system is secure no for well it isn't and you know have lied to the auditors do we need something of that nature because these systems are incredibly complicated and if you're working on a system if you're a software developer as we've all been that you're under 18 levels of management sometimes and even if you do mm. put your hand up it might not go f- at least you know even beyond your line manager so we just have to be we have to be cognizant of that and maybe we do need some kind of legislation to allow people to to raise red flags yeah i guess not to open a massive can of worms so late into the podcast but um you could argue that like it's sort of human nature that humans will always lie and and try and do whatever they can to get ahead personally for you know power or money or whatever you know the reasons why and so the only real answer is that if you have something which you know lots of people depend on and it would absolutely mess up their lives if it was to go wrong is to make things public and transparent as possible um you know in in the various ways and i guess that's why uh things like the blockchain and and all of this sort of cryptocurrency stuff has has gotten uh both a lot of fans and a lot of like you know governments or organizations sort of not wanting it to happen because um you know i think earlier earlier it was mentioned that you could go down to your local branch and you could ask your bank manager and they'd sort out any problems uh, whereas nowadays like that never happens is that actually because of technology or is that just because businesses have become more you know uh, cutthroat and they're able to get away with that sort of thing and you know there was another scene in the drama where they requested information and the post office printed off like a 100 page sheet of all of the documents but with every single line blacked out as like this sort of yeah <laughs> like that just because uh, there's laws in place to allow for freedom of information or like requesting data companies are always going to try and worm their way out of it so maybe the answer is to have a sort of more open decentralized system and and uh, investigate more on those sort of things but i guess i'll i'll leave that as an open point um, i i do have one more philosophical point to make but uh, <laughs> uh, as per usual um i think there's a an inherent trade-off uh, in these systems of people governance versus technical governance and centralization versus uh, people management. Because it's the pizza box, the two pizza, pizza, size, pizza box size team, uh, which is like, you know, the, the agile thing to do, it does make sense, but it makes sense on a very different human level, as in you want to manage a group of people separately who have different responsibilities but then there are other people here who have somewhat overlapping responsibilities as these people here right and so what i'm getting at at this very circumspect way is that 
we always have to make a choice on how much correctness we expect from the system and how well manageable the system is because there's we can't have a multinational bank running of a single oracle instance right uh or you know postgres or whatever it doesn't matter but we you, you just can't do that right not not technically not not technically but then that also brings in all the things that i talked about earlier which is the complexity just blows up almost immediately so where do you draw the line i, I don't i don't feel like i have a good answer to these questions right but what I'm saying is that we have to be, if we're going to talk about, if, we, if we're going to put ourselves into a position where we feel like we have something to tell our industry in this, in this aspect, we have to be mindful of these, of these different considerations they need to make, right? That's, that's I think, the, the yeah, biggest I, 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 I agree with that. Uh, I don't think we have any clear cut answers to, to the problems. We know that we, we um, are dealing with complexity and it's moving in the wrong direction and we're trying to kind of even rescuing things like explanations is becoming harder and harder to do um, and uh, yeah I guess yeah I guess you know let's but let's not give up hope let's let's go and research and spend time and spend the, the you know on on um, some potential technical, uh, mitigations to this uh, th these problems and uh, you know I don't believe that we've got all the answers but I believe that those answers are out there and if we if we can objectify them if we, we can um, continue our, our search for knowledge and, and improve the practices and in, in, in I mean I think there's some amazing things that we have learned over over the years in computer science you mentioned uh, you know, distributed ledger, that would have been pretty useful in, you know, we didn't have anything like that. We didn't even understand hashing and or Merkle trees or those sort of things in, in, the, in the 90s. You know, they were very, very academic subjects. So, so you know, things do improve. Um, and yet, you know, there are some absolutely savage lessons to learn from uh, Horizon and, and perhaps as many other Horizon IT scandals in store, you know, in the future. And it really isn't enough us to say that you know shrug our sh shoulders and say well we'll trust try and do a better job next time there, there's some really important things for us to learn and i think we touched on some of those things in this this podcast so it's me to say thank you very much for for um all your time everybody and uh, particularly to you andres for joining us as a Thanks guest i hope me. you can have you on again if you want to uh you know a plug from our sponsors i suppose um three out of four of us work for Juxt and you know we definitely believe in not uh, shredding data and editing data in place we believe in immutability and immutable databases and we have a database at xdb.com uh, that is just coming out with its version two and very exciting for us so we'll probably be talking about that in another podcast I know that you've got podcast idea coming up Joe that you're going to do soon on the subject of waste that you've had a blog that you've a very very successful blog um, do look on the Juxt website for that blog of Joe's. And um, Andres's work is at omniledger.io. We'll put a link in the show notes. And um, and also to Andres's blog, which is how I, I know you, Andres, through kind of being an avid reader of your many excellent articles and medium. So we'll put a link on there to Andres's blog as well. Just leaves me to say thank you very much. Enjoy the weekend, everybody. We'll try and get this podcast out as soon as we can. And... Uh, We'll sign off. Thanks very much. Good night. Thank you. Cheers all.